the first episode of Talking Supercoach with Streety and Oz. I am Oz. And I'm Streety. Yeah, cool. Thanks, mate. We're already absolutely zinging it. We've had to work out how to uh, download podcast uh, technology, and now our chemistry is through the roof. Yeah, well, we are, it's the first pod, so I'm sure yeah. it'll get better. How hard can it be, right? Um yeah, so we're starting a super co- a super coach podcast. We absolutely love the game. We talk about it every day. It's probably eighty percent of why we're friends, and so we figured we may as well share it with you guys and have a bit of fun while we do it. We've been um, we've actually been talking about this for a while, um, and Oz decided to choose twenty twenty. Uh, as the year to launch this, um, more importantly, he decided this week, which is uh, you know probably the biggest week of AFL that I can remember in my life, um, considering that the season ha- might not even go ahead um, I, in 48 hours. I stand by so it. So good work there, mate. <laughs> I stand by it because what this is going to result in is change, mate. And change leads to opportunity, as you know. And so if we're ahead of the curve and we can change and adjust on the fly, I feel like it's only going to be a good thing for us. So also stuff you. If you don't want to be in it, don't be in it. That's all right. And I guess, well, I mean, it's a good time to launch because with everyone working at home, if we can't get listeners now, um, <laughs> we probably never will. Uh, um, so, yeah, you know, the optimism in me um, sees, the, sees the positives. Love it. Uh, in order to do a Supercoach podcast, you actually have to know a thing or two about the game. And so I guess off the top, uh, we should probably introduce ourselves, who we are, why we're doing it. We've sort of covered off, but um, I suppose prove to you why you should listen to us. So, Streety, do you want to kick us off with why anyone with their earpods in their ears should give us stuff what you have to say? Absolutely. Um, so pre-2019, uh, Streety was a gun at Supercoach. So, sorry. What? What? We're skipping over last year. Are you doing last year last? Uh, no, it doesn't matter what order you do it. That's fine. Do okay. it however you want. Like the uh, like the football team I support, the Melbourne Demons. Um, <laughs> last year we've just tried to both tried to forget. Um, so to Helen back, I'm pretty sure they did content series that came out over the summer um, that was talking about their year and how they're going to get better in 2020, and that uh, pretty much sums myself up as well. <laughs> um, but pre. 2019, um, I was reasonably good at Supercoach. Um, I love AFL. Um, massive Melbourne Demons fan, um, forking out a few thousand dollars to go to Perth in uh, 2018 to watch Melbourne get smashed by the Eagles. Um, and it's actually been pretty downhill since then um, for everything to do with football. It's been dark, hasn't it? It has been dark. Um, normally, Actually, I got into Supercoach in the first place because Melbourne was so shit for so long. Um, so last year when I had neither going for me, um, yeah, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty rough time. But that's all right. I was all I was all pumped about twenty twenty redemption in twenty twenty, um, and you know, in forty eight hours we might not have a season. But let's. For the purpose of this podcast, assume we do. Yeah, well, it, throughout the podcast, we'll identify a couple of things that we sort of are preempting and some ideas we've got, but we're going to have to pretend like it's BAU because that's what we're being told, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, last year was challenging. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, but it, it, it has helped me and it has shaped me as a fancy footballer coach or fancy football <laughs> coach. Shaped you as a coach. Moving forward um, on the back of, you know, well, probably halfway through last year because I pretty much stopped. Uh, stop trying halfway through I wrote a bunch of rules um, that I, I want to live by moving forward um, and yeah I also you know I, I, I've tried a few new things for for 2020 um, so we'll, we'll talk about those in a bit more detail 
um, moving forward. But yeah, I used to be good, so um, hopefully you have a little bit of faith in uh, faith in what I say. Um, I definitely watch a lot of sport, so if nothing else, um, it's a relatively relatively informed view. I can I can vouch for that. Through all of the abuse that I will undoubtedly give you over the course of this series, uh, you do know your sport, you do love your super coach, and although 2019 might have been a blip, you do have a good track record. That's a, that's enough about me. Um, I could bang on quite a bit about uh, my my Supercoach history, will. but and I, and I will no doubt you'll probably get sick of it. Um, but for the time being, uh, that can be enough. And uh, I was wanting to tell us a little bit about a little bit about yourself, mate. Um, especially you know pre twenty fifteen. I don't know much about your your history in this game um, before before then. I'm happy to start at early. I was actually going to go with twenty nineteen because unlike you, some of us are consistent high performers. But if you want, I can go back. My my best ever performance in Supercoach occurred in the year twenty eleven. Uh, I remember it well. It was nine years ago. Correct. Sure. Correct. You mentioned 2007, so it's <laughs> all right. I'll go there. It was the year GWS came into the competition. There was obviously a plethora of rookies, yeah. very different to what we're going to have to go through this year. Pretty, but it's pretty easy year. Easy. Yeah, no, easy in the fact that only 23 super coaches out there finished in front of me, and I came across the line in, in 24th place. And I'm sure a lot of our experienced listeners out there will remember the Eliminator, the knockout tournament that mm-hmm. Supercoach used to run. Yep, still remember the one I got knocked out. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. Well, I do as well because it was the semi-final and it still hurts me to this day I burnt my trades too early was left with a zero on the field in the semi-final also meant I dropped down out of the top 20 in the overall rankings and I'm not bitter at all no but, that's all right I mean I, I did come sixth in uh, BBL fantasy um, in 2017 it's not quite as good as that but yeah, yeah have you started your BBL fantasy uh, podcast when's when's that start uh, it's um it's in it's no, hasn't started. Yeah, yet. cool. Thanks. Yeah, good, man. Yeah. Um, so, a bit about me. Other than that, I, I obviously know uh, Streety from working with him for a fair while. Unfortunately, yes, he is a Melbourne fan and I am not much better. I'm a St Kilda supporter and a glass half empty one at that. I feel as though what we've done over the last three or four months has condemned us to mediocrity for quite some time, but that's not the point of this podcast. Um, other than, obviously, that exceptional performance in 2011, I've been top 2,000 the last two years in a row. Um, haven't flirted with the top 1,000, though, so that's the big goal for this year is make sure we get up inside that top 1,000. Last year, I was really hurt by the fact that there was no carnage at the end of the season. Mm, yeah. I've learned many over many years of cocking it up to save trades, and I did just that only for nobody basically to rest, nobody to get hurt, and all of those that burned all their trades early to benefit. So See, we're, we're actually – that's an interesting point. We're actually becoming the people that I hate. Um, <laughs> I like Ben. I used to be better at this game than I am now. I haven't finished top 1,000 for maybe four years now, um, and I blame that on the fact that content, Supercoach content, is so much more readily available, mm-hmm. um, and it's easy for any Tom, Dick, or Harry to pull a team together on a Thursday afternoon um, and have enough news through podcasts and the Herald Sun content and all the various Supercoach websites to do really well at this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, I guess. <laughs> um, so, you know, hopefully hopefully because I'm doing this, um, I've embraced that. And, you know, this year there's, uh, there's yeah some better news for me. I hope so, mate. Because if we're going to have a podcast and we have banter back and forth, there needs to be some sort of equality between us. You know, like if you're finishing 20,000th, I'll break the news, 20,000th as you did last year, and I'm sitting up there in the top couple hundred, it's going to be quite an awkward chat you'd be doing it by yourself yeah (laughs) um essentially (laughs) well let's hope that doesn't happen eh
So that's the intros done and dusted. Um, we had a reasonably traditional Supercoach podcast agenda we to get hard. through today. Uh, we did work hard um, over over the weekend getting ready for this. And then, um, yeah, obviously due to the coronavirus, uh, that's all gone out the window. Um, on you know, yesterday afternoon, the AFL came out and said it's going to be a 17-round season um, as of you know 5.45 on... Uh, Tuesday the 17th, we're not actually sure if round one is going to go ahead. Mm. Um, it probably will. Uh, so, you know, that's that's exciting. But I think, um, you know, that does change a lot. Uh, the fact that it is now a 17-game season. Um, I've read that quarters will be shortened to 16 minutes. There might be five games in the first three weeks. So there's quite a few unknowns at the moment. Um, and there's quite a few things as super coaches or fancy coaches we haven't had to deal with before. Um, it does make a lot of the, the research that we've sort of done irrelevant to a point. Um, but I guess now more than ever, um, you know, we'll need to rely on, on some of those Probably some of those mid prices, um, some of those players that you previously wouldn't have picked if it was the traditional season that we are that we all know so well. Um, so I think you know today we'll sort of we still will run through a couple of those traditional segments and sort of give our predictions on uh, top five or six players on each line, um, but then also you know workshop a couple of scenarios uh, that you know we as coaches can can bring to season twenty twenty, um, and yeah run through some of some of the tough decisions that we have to make and also some of the mid prices that you know if you asked me 48 hours ago I would have refused straight away um, but now I, I have to consider given um, given what's happening no it makes a makes a lot of sense I mean going back to your point from earlier earlier Streety if you're if you've got to the point where there's that much content available and everyone's on an even playing field this is a horrible and and you know scary way of of making that uh, yeah more variable if anything it's going to mean that there's there's more chaos in supercoach so um, whilst without making light of the situation we'll obviously try and run through this as normally as we can and um, yeah see how we go So given everything that's unfolded, um, we sort of had a look at it and thought, why don't we put our heads on the chopping block a little bit and say, who do we think are going to be your ultra primos come the end of the year? And we're not talking who's going to be in the top 10 forwards. We want top six and we want you to list them. And we're going to go through that uh, line by line, hold each other accountable, um, laugh at the hilarious names that Streety looks to have on his list as I look across and go from there. We might start with the forwards. So do you want to list kick them, us off, mate? List them in order. I reckon order has to be in order, and I want I want valid reasons why. All right. Um, well, nothing too exciting or out there about uh, my top forwards. Um, Lockie Whitfield have his number one. First and only smart thing you'll say this year. Obviously, being able to get into the for- in the forward line this year is massive. No matter where he plays for the Giants. Um, only concern is the fact that he's super expensive uh, and injury prone. Uh, Dustin Martin, number two. Um, once again, nothing groundbreaking there. Um, he's given up booze though, so you know should be in for a massive year. Um, I'm, I'm actually Dusty. Dusty's one of those players that historically he had what arguably one of the greatest seasons of all time two years ago mm-hmm. when he swept all the awards and couldn't have played any better. And he averaged what 117, 118 or something. Yes. So I, I sort of look at it and go, "There's no way he goes less than last year," and it's physically impossible for him to go better than what he did in that season where he was everything and anything. So if he if he comes out and averages 105. You're laughing, yeah. right? It's done. He's a he's a safe 100. Yeah. Plays every game as well. Doesn't miss. Yeah, um, cool. We're in agreement thus far. Unless he's suspended for hitting the ball like he did last year and cost me. Um, <laughs> Isaac Heaney, uh, three. Um, he will break out one year. Um, 
and he'll average about 110. But for now, got him around that 100 point. Um, he needs Buddy back in the side. He performs a lot better when Buddy's there um, because he doesn't have to play forward. But yeah, I can see him being easily being the third the third best forward. Uh, got Michael Walters at number four. Um, begrudgingly, uh, not a I, fan. Well, I picked him in 2018 um, as a, a pod, uh, and he was okay, but did stupid things, got suspended, gave away 50-meter penalties at crucial times in the game and lost 20 points. Uh, a few things like that. Uh, I, you'll soon find that I hold grudges, um, and one of my rules, Supercoach rules, that I mentioned at the start of the pod was uh, to not let grudges inform my decisions. So try my best not to do that, um, but it doesn't mean that I don't remember when these players burned me and what they did to do that. <laughs> you might, might also be, uh, yeah. No, continue, continue. Thanks, man. Um, Christian Petrarca, uh, number five on the list. So he would have been one that I wouldn't have had there pre preseason games or, or Marsh Cup games. Uh, but he had the number one centre bounce, the most centre bounces for any Melbourne player over the two games. Absolutely dominated the first one, um, did okay in the second one, but his role looks really good. Um, they got the new fitness boss at the D's. Um, so he slimmed down and he was a gun junior. Uh, so there is absolutely no reason why he can't push a 100 average this year. I mean, he's played predominantly forward in the past um, and averaged, you know, mid-80s. So it won't take much. You know, a couple of extra kicks a game gets him close to that 100 mark. Is he, when he was at, because we are obviously aware of how good he was as a junior and he was so highly touted. I don't remember any chat about him being like that high possession winning Bull in midfield, though I, I always had him as that almost the Jordan to go before Jordan to go showed up. Is it like I, I'm? I'm a little bit nervous about the fact that in a preseason game when people are coming in half baked and he all of a sudden rolls around has what seven or eight touches more than he's ever had in an AFL game, and we all of a sudden are penciling him in to average 100 and be in our top six forwards. I think the fact is that this year, if you have a look at all the forwards, uh, there's not a lot there. Uh, it's pretty rubbish. So Christian Petrarca at 440k, even if he does average 90 and doesn't quite get that 100 that I'm predicting right here right now, he still turns into an okay pick um, at his price. And considering if he averaged 90, you'll be close to a top 10 forward. So you'd have Petrarca over those other sort of midfielders that have slipped into our forward line for this year, like a Parrish, like a Greenwood, like a Gresham. You'd have him above all of those guys. Yep. Yep. Okay. Even though one of my previous rules was don't pick Melbourne players um, <laughs> because they're frustrating and to watch, I have broken that this year uh, with Christian Petrarca because I think he'll be really good. One of your current rules is ignore all of your previous rules. So that's uh, good. Yeah, pretty much. Essentially, nice. they're, they're a waste of time, but that made me feel better last year. Um, and round out top six uh, is one of my favorites, um, Jordan Degoe. So. Jesus. I, um, I, I'll i have him here every year, no matter who is in the forward line. We're trying to get um, listeners, mate. Mate, he's a genuine gun. One of the best players to watch in the competition. It's fantastic. He will get midfield minutes. Um, it's only a matter of time before he does. And he is so damaging as a forward. Um, and look, I mean, the forward line is so shit this year. I've got him averaging 95 and he makes the top six. Wow. Um, okay. So I... He's awesome to watch, um, and I think he'll be top six. And I think you will not finish in the top six thousand if you make things or make decisions like that. That is incredible. Really, well, I, I should, I should say I'm not, I'm not picking him. 
Uh, <laughs> um, and I probably wouldn't if I was if I was you. Like, don't don't take that as a pick, Jordan. To go, he's not he's not a safe pick. He's a risky one, um, and probably won't average number ninety five. I've just got him in my top six. Yeah, look, I probably I probably shouldn't shouldn't uh, go too hard at you until you hear my list because whilst I wouldn't go anywhere near Jordan to go, I think he's the sort of player that misses games through injury, that does reckless things, that goes missing, and has absolutely no scoring history whatsoever, despite being one of the best players in the competition. Um, I also have uh, someone sitting at number six that we will get to that I want to just temper expectations on slightly. Can't so, wait for that. And I will say the other one that I would have close, or he probably is in the top six on average, just won't play every game, is Jack Stephen. Yeah. Especially after seeing him in the uh, JLT Marsh, whatever it is, Marsh game two. Yeah. Uh, he was bloody good. But, you know, and a 360K, a genuine no-brainer pick. Um, but considering that I just don't think he'll play every game and might have a couple of injury-affected ones, um, I've got him at just slightly less than, uh, than Jordan. No, that, that's fair enough. Uh, Jack Stephen, I actually have sitting at my seventh as well. I think he looked awesome as a Saints fan. It was one of the hardest things in the world to see him looking fit and firing in the middle of a midfield that probably doesn't even need him when we were crying out for him last year. But anyway, we move nice. on. Nice of the cast to get another one like that. So I'm assuming, <laughs> Oz, you have the same, same top six and we can go to the next next line. Uh, good zinger, mate. Top two are the same. And uh, three and four, I had much of a muchness inverse order. I think Sonny Walters probably gets a little bit more exposure in the midfield with Fife running the show over there. He needs to help out the likes of Brayshaw and Chera and all those guys. So I had him mildly out of Heaney, but we're, we're really getting nitpicky there. At number five, I had Tobias. Tobias Green. Really? From the greater Western Sydney Giants. I One of my rules or one of my approaches to Supercoach, which I don't think we've touched on thus thus far is I love scoring potential history in terms of suspension and injury I think is exactly that it's history it's not what you should be basing your picks and selections on I look at Toby Green as the sort of player who if he does play his sort of hybrid forward midfield role and scores his 90 sure that's a bit of a letdown it's not the end of the world but if he does do what he did at the back end of last year and embrace the midfield take over some of Taranto's minutes God knows where he could end up. So I think where I've got him at, at sort of averaging about 97, 98, I think is actually a pretty good floor for the for the great man. And I think he will comfortably sit in the top six. A couple, couple of things. Um, I do like Tobias. Great player to watch. Um, I, But I will say, you, you know, you might not think that history is relevant in a new season. Um, I disagree. A few things. Also, the fact that he only played midfield last year um, because they didn't have anyone in there. Uh, they get Kelly back this year. They get Ward back this year. And he's proven as a forward. He's probably only averaged in that that low 90s, which once again, as you said earlier, might be enough. But mm-hmm. five's, five's a big call. Did you watch him play in the uh, bushfire game out of interest? Uh, I did watch that game. Good, because I didn't. How'd he go? He kicked five, I saw. Uh, yep, yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. And he had 24, but I don't know. I didn't watch it. I was actually asking for your genuine opinion, yep. which I'm now regretting because you're giving me absolutely donuts. But I just think I look at him and I go through the other list of, of top forwards. When you're getting away from the mid-prices and looking at the actual theoretical primos, no one's going to go near Ablett. No one's going to go near Zeeble. Or, gee, I hope you don't. Anyway, guys like Lambert, no way. There's like a whole bunch of Geelong players in there with Hawkins and um, who else is in there? Dalhouse. You're not going to go near any of them. I would have a much more confidence in picking Toby Green than any of them and much more in picking Toby Green over Christian Petrarca. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I, um, I will say uh, he's not a bad pick, but, and you mentioned it before, um, I do take into account game counts. 
and history. I'm mm. um, not sure Tobias has ever pulled a full season together. No, no, he probably hasn't. Probably not not since he was about 18. That's pretty pretty important. No, so he he did play 22 games back in 2015. There you go. um, And game counts since then are 21, 16, 7, and 16. Mm. Uh, So even though, you know, history is made to be broken, he does have to uh, beat quite a bit of previous history uh, to play those 20, 22 games that you want out of him uh, in a role that he hasn't played outside of six rounds last year since his early days at the Giants. I genuinely didn't think that we would spend five or six minutes talking about Toby Green today. Like, I, I had him... So he's not in my team, for he's the not, record. He's not in my team. He's he's my team. probably move on. I think he's actually quite a good pick, but, yep, he's not in my team. I think he'll be the fifth-ranked forward by the end of the season. And number six, I already know, and the reason I kind of want to push on is because you know who I'm going to say, and it's going to be uh, something that you completely disagree with. And I, you try, to, I tried to stop you, No, but you're going to go for it anyway. I think that... Ruckman cannot fail in Supercoach. I'm one of them. I've been sucked in. As I said, I love the scoring potential. I love the fact that they're around the ball all the time. And if you're a solo Ruckman, you're absolutely laughing. And I think Mr. Jonathan Segler will come in at number six this season. And he's currently sitting in my team at F3. What do you What do you see Mr. Jonathan Segler averaging? Uh, I reckon he averages 95. Okay. 95. Look, I... Like, is there actually any other forward that average? Sorry, is there six more forwards that average over ninety five this season? Uh, no, but I also don't think Segler will average ninety five. So, what's his floor? What's his floor? Yeah, how low? How low does he go? Uh, in the VFL, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, but there's, there's every chance that uh, the guy who you know you do have Ben McAvoy in the team, uh, and I know he's been playing in defence, the centre half back. Um, yep, he's a, he's a good player. Back. He's a good player back there. Yeah, he's he's great at centre half back. That he's played you know handful of games in his career. Yeah, it won't take much. Um, I mean, Segler was absolutely rubbish against Gorn in the first half of the uh, March two game. It, I don't think it'll take much. Uh, for Clarko to realise that he's probably, you know, tried to be a bit fancy with that one. Um, stick Segler back to that, you know, horrible second ruck in the team position or worse, the VFL, um, <laughs> and stick big boy back there. VFL probably be better to I, do, I will say, like, he, he, pro- he does have the potential as a ruckman, mm-hmm. uh, not because he's any good. He's horrible to watch. Mm. Um, but ruckmen do score points. I, um, I just... Can't guarantee that he will stay the sole number one ruck at Hawthorne. Look, and I, season. I get that. I think at the moment I'm biased by the fact that we're struggling so much to get enough rookies in the side. And I see him as a very wise pick when it comes to team structure. And I also think that it enables you to find the 100 grand from, say, a Toby Green or an Isaac Heaney to spend elsewhere. And I think overall he's not going to hurt you. He's going to be someone that is quite a pod. And I know you've got thoughts on pods at the start of the season. but. I think he's in 2% of teams. Yeah, exactly um, right. Which is red flags for me after David Mundy in 2019. But yeah, anyway, we're yeah, yeah, we should do a whole pod on David yeah, Mundy for you. Um, so he's he's sitting at my number six. And then, so to recap, I've got Whitfield and Martin that are no-brainers. I think Walters and Heating are that second tier quite clearly. And then I have Mr. Tobias Green followed by the very, very wild card being Jonathan Segler. And I actually agree with you, which hurts me, to say that Jack Stephen, I think, is an honourable mention. And I, I reckon Jade Gresham isn't the worst pick. I would explore that. I don't mind Jay Gresham either. Um, there was an article today saying that he'll play about 70% of midfield time. If he does, then I would probably put him in my top six, but uh, we haven't seen that yet. Not brave enough. <laughs> uh, 
As per all good Supercoach podcasts, we're going to do this completely out of order and we're going to go from the forwards and zing our way back to the second worst line. Although, actually, no, it probably is the worst line, isn't it? It's not great. Picking defenders this season is painful and horrible, I think. I currently, as I look at my team, or until this morning's news about the completely restructured AFL season, had... One and a half primos in my backline because I just don't enjoy picking them. But what we're going to do is we're going to run through who we think is going to be the top six defenders. I think there's probably going to be some variety in this as well because I look at it and to be honest, you could throw a blanket over a whole bunch of them. But the way I've got it structured, I think Jake Lloyd did enough to earn that title again for this year. I then actually have Zach Williams. What do you, what do you reckon, just out of interest, Lloyd will average? I think it drops away a bit. Yep. I think it drops away a bit. I reckon he, it comes in at um, probably low hundreds. I actually, I did run the numbers on it. What did I think? I had him, yeah, I had him at 105. Okay. 105. Would, like, you, would you start Jake Lloyd? He's pretty expensive. 590K. I do not have him in my team yep. currently, but I definitely do not have a problem with anyone that starts him. Anytime you've got the chance to start, the person that's probably going to be the top scorer for their line, irrespective of price, I get it. But I think they're, he's not going to be as much better than all the other defenders mm. as he was last year. Yep. I mean, obviously, I mean, he's, you know, spoilers, my number one pick as well. Yep. Uh, but there are a couple of concerns, um, I think, in the back end of last year. Uh, he didn't score as well with the rise of Jordan Dawson. Um, so there are a couple, and he's you know priced at 590k, which is the same price as a Clayton Oliver, for example, um, on a different line. But you know when you're, it's all relative. So I think um, he will be mm-hmm. the number one averaging defender. Um, you know we're not going out on a whim there, but at 591k, <laughs> um, I can't see myself. Starting. Well, he hasn't been in any of my draft sides. Yeah, and pretty much every play in the compass. So. I just don't know how you fit him in. I don't know. Like if you've got, if you've managed to get Jake Lloyd into your side, as twenty six percent of super coaches seem to have been able to do, I'm very impressed. I don't quite know what your side looks like. Perhaps you're going with only one premium ruck. I, I don't know. But yeah, well, I mean, we'll get to the midfield soon. Um, but this year, I feel more than ever, there is just, I mean, there's about ten absolute guns yep. um, that are all north of six hundred k. Um, which makes it hard to fit a Jake Lloyd at the same price in. Completely agree. So I, at number two, I actually have Zach Williams. I still have him up there. I just mainly am a little wow. bit biased because of his potential. Okay. I love watching him play. I think with the exception of Heath Shaw down there stealing a few of his kickouts, they basically look to give him the ball coming out of defense at all opportunities. Now, as we're recording this, we're completely aware of the fact that he has got a sore Achilles and he's in a bit of pain and struggling, and he's not in my team because of that reason. But what I'm saying is as an average over the course of the season, I think Zach Williams is uh, probably going to come in at number two. I'm far less confident on that than I am, I think, with some of the other lines because, as I said, you could throw a blanket over a lot of these guys and I think a lot of them are influenced by how many kickouts they take, how many behinds are kicked against them, that sort of stuff. But I have him at number two. What about you? Uh, not in my top six. Wow. Um, for similar to Tobias, who we just talked about, I and I, you know I haven't done the analysis, but I would imagine that a lot of his good scores last year were when he was when he played up the ground in the midfield. Fair. Um, they're all back this year. Um, I mean, Taranto just got injured, uh, but Kelly's back. Ward will be back soon. Um, I just can't. And you know, if you think Toby's going to play a few minutes in the midfield as well, I can't see Zach Williams doing the same. So I think he's he's just a wait and see. I mean, he's obviously injured, which makes that wait and see decision easier to to make. Um, but yeah, I just I think he'll be a good pick. He'll be you know sort of mid mid nineties, which is what his average 
Mid nineties, really. That's what he's averaged before in that position. Um, so I don't see any reason why he's, he's going to do more than that. I cannot see him dipping below ninety five. I can't. I just can't imagine a world where that ninety five is mid nineties. Yeah, no, 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 I agree. I'm just saying. I just can't. I can't fathom that that occurs. But anyway, that's that's uh, a fair enough from you. At number three, I actually and. This again, my as I said, my style is I love the potential, I love the opportunity, and I have Sam Doherty the Lockerty at number three. Thoughts? Uh, I mean, he's a no-brain selection this mm-hmm. year, of course, um, at his price, of course. I and he will score well. I mean, he averages 115 or something ridiculous. I think Crazy. In his last full season, two years in a row, two years in a row. Um, he just hasn't played the game for two years, mm. um, which you know, I mean, I've never played. Professional, well, I mean, I, I have as a junior. Um, <laughs> that's oh, no. not professional, though. So tune into the Streety and Oz podcast where you hear from Streety, the professional junior AFL player. That's not what I meant. Um, <laughs> I never had a two-year hiatus, uh, so I don't know. I don't know how he's going to come back. So he will average. I think I've got him down as high nineties, mm-hmm. um, and he could definitely go. You know, north of 100 like he has in the past. Um, but, you know, the conservative side in me says um, he will might struggle to do that first year back. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a fair point. And obviously he's in my side and I think he should be in the vast majority of sides. I actually don't know what the percentage is at the moment, but it's it's extremely high. Um, what are we at? 52%. So clearly the Supercoach community is thinking much the same, but I genuinely think, much like Zach Williams was last year, taking that high, almost mid-price, but high-value mid-pricer, I think he'll end up being well and truly a lock in our top six, and I actually have him, as I said, at number three. For number four, I've got one of the more boring selections. I don't know about you, but he's one that I try and actively avoid these days because I, he just doesn't entertain me, and that's Rory Laird. I think the fact that he doesn't really take a lot of kickouts, he does a lot of those little chip kicks in the back line, he's very much a 35-metre kick down the line, get the switch kick type player. Um He's, yeah, I still think he'll be in the top six because he's so good at finding the pill and he's got the proven track record, doesn't get hurt, all of those things. But I do not have him in my side purely because he bores me. Thoughts? Fair enough. Uh, he's in my side. Um, I do agree. I you mean, are a boring guy. Yeah, yeah he is reasonably boring. Um, but boring, if you're getting points um, and you're scoring me 100 every week, I don't really care if you're that boring. Mm. I think um, Laird, obviously... Didn't average nearly as much last year as he did the previous year. Um, the Crows have quite a few players on that half-back line. Um, but, you know, yeah, if the room is that Brody's going to move up the ground a bit, um, playing on the wing or in the middle and, you know, watching Adelaide in the, um, JL, the, the Marsh series, uh, they had a real chip around the back line style mm-hmm. of game. Um, so Roy Laird is just going to rack it up. Um, and, you know, safe pick. We'll play 22 games. We'll get you close to 100 every week. Um, and, yeah, he's just, a, he's just a safe selection in, in, you know, as we were saying before, is a you know a difficult line once mm-hmm. again to work out, you know, which players will actually get you that, that 100 average. And, and the fact that 20-plus percent of super coaches have him suggests exactly that, that he's a safe selection, but he bores me, so he is not in my team. As we sit currently, the my D1, actually, is a guy that I think will finish at number five on the list, and that is James Sicily. I think he is actually the opposite of Rory Laird. Erratic as all hell, scores go all over the place, but he's exciting to watch. They've now got big boy McAvoy locked at centre-half back, not going near the ruck, allowing John Segler to be a star. 
but we'll move on from that. And then they also recruited other bigs, including Sam Frost. So there is no requirement whatsoever for James Sicily to be playing on the Monsters. I think he is therefore the kick out of defence. They give him the ball at all costs. He has freedom to intercept and be that sort of roaming halfback where he scores like an absolute super coach pig. And I think he is a no-brain selection in your starting team. Thoughts? I think... Um I completely agree. He's actually my, my third highest average in defender. I've got on my list. He's in my team. Um, the other good thing about the Hawks in 2020 is they've picked up Jonathan Patton. He's playing the forward line. I think um, I picked up Sicily in the back half of last year. That and hurt. he, I think the first game he played forward and scored about 20 points. <laughs> um, so this, and you, you still can't entirely trust Alistair Clarkson or Sicily for that matter. Um, but all the signs point to the fact that he's going to be the loose man in defense or, or third man up, um, which he scores incredibly well at. Takes kickouts. I think Hardwick's out now as well for quite a while, um, who took, I think, the most kickouts for Hawthorne last year. Mm-hmm. So with him out, Sicily's the, the next in line. So he'll take that third man up with his intercepts. Uh, he at 510k. He is a ripping pick, and he's also you know every year that he plays a game, he's one year mature, more mature. Uh, so hopefully the you know suspensions um, and the dumb stuff that he does is is getting out of his game. Do you think? And that this is where I, I sort of, as I said, I'm big on Sicily. I've got him in my team. I think Rory Laird is boring, but. Laird is the sort of player that very rarely drops below 80, doesn't really have those bad games, makes him really hard to pick up during the season. Sicily's the sort of guy that Clarko might throw the toys out of the cot one day, send forward, and he could have 40 and be easier to pick up at that sort of cheaper, maybe even 450K value. You still reckon it's worth sticking with Sicily off the top, given everything we've seen in preseason, given the recruiting they made, you reckon that's the way to go? Uh, Well, I've got both Laird and Sicily. If you had to pick Um, one? If I had to pick one, I think for... Well, it kind of probably depends on what type of player you are. Um, if you asked, you know, if you're 20, fun. start of 2019 version of Streety, I would have said uh, <laughs> I would have said Sicily. But 2020 version of uh, of Streety says uh, for an extra 15k, you can get you can lock in Rory Laird for 20 games, 22 games. Well, sorry, 17 games. Yeah. Um, at an average of 100, which is what I would do. But I do have both. So yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I preferred old Streety. Um, He'll, cool. be, he'll be back. He just needs a couple of good weeks. <laughs> He's a confidence booster. Um, and then at number six, it's probably what originally in November might have been, you know, the hot topic and the cool pick, but I think he's now developed into a pretty boring pick. Um, he's just made his way back into my team, obviously with the restructured season and buys being essentially a thing of the past or, you know, TBC, um, is Dan Houston. I think obviously the evidence suggests that back end of last year when he went on ball, the start of this year in the, in the March series when he showed that he was attending center bounces and tackling and winning the hard stuff. I think he makes a ton of sense at his current price. The only thing that was really putting people off, I think, was the fact they had that standalone buy. Um, and you obviously a large amount of teams had Dylan Robin in their back line. So with that no longer being the case, I actually restructured my team just this morning to find a way to get him back in because given the dearth of, uh, of talent across that back line, um, I think he is probably the best value along with Sam Doherty. And I have him as a keeper coming in at number six at the end of the year. Yep. Boringly, I completely agree. Um, he is well-priced at 485K. Um, he's, his role seems like it's going to be really strong playing, I think, the most midfield minutes for, for Port Adelaide when he was on the ground over the two Marsh games. Uh, I 
had him in my team. I took him out with the the round eleven buy situation, which you know has now changed. So he's not in there at the moment. Um, if I need the money, um, I will likely go Sicily to Houston. Um, but at the moment, I I don't have him. But a great pick, and I don't have him top six, but he will be close if he stays playing pure middle year. A couple of other honourable mentions. We haven't talked about Shannon Hearn. I think he's just ageing, not going to get much better. I think he's reliable, safe pick. He gets 15 touches, 14 of which are long kickouts and scores 100. So if you pick him, I'm not against it. It's not for me. It's boring, but I, I understand it. Third, third favourite player to watch in the competition. Oh, my God. Um, you so, are so dull. What do you mean? Well, Shannon, Shannon Hearn is your third favourite player to watch in the competition. In a competition that has Marcus Bontempelli, that yeah, has well, Nathan Fife, that has Josh Kelly, you have Shannon Hearn at number three. Uh, I do watching oh. watching Shannon Hearn kick a goal from sixty meters um, uh, do, on the are run. Are you still watching in two thousand and seven? Uh, well, yeah, that's what I'm recalling. Okay. Uh, when I <laughs> when I lived in my share house with a couple of mates and we watched Shannon Hearn dominate. Oh, I actually don't think he dominated. He averaged about eighty five. Correct. Yeah. Um, but he loved it. Loved a sixty meter goal three times a year. That was about, uh, and that was enjoyable. That was four calf tears ago. Mm. He he doesn't have that in him. Lewis Jenner takes most of the kickings these I days. I haven't updated my. Favorite players to watch list in a while. All right, okay, um, that might be a pod there. But that, that, yeah, well, uh, fair enough. Yeah, no, look, not not my not my cup of tea, but fair enough. And I, if I was to go another primo, I quite like the look of Luke Ryan. I think he's underutilized, uh, sorry, underpicked, um, and will almost certainly with Frio's backline and desire to give him the ball and his ball use out of the backline. I think he's he's the next on the list for me. Uh, it's a pretty solid list. Um, in fact. Uh, I think five of the six players in my top six we've talked about. Yeah, we really should. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got Jake Lloyd, Rory Laird, Sicily as my top three in that order. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, I've got Shannon Hearn. Um, if you couldn't tell before, I love him. Um, bloody good to watch. The best player to watch in the comp. Um, <laughs> doesn't miss a target and is just rock solid. Yeah. So he've got him as number four, even though he is aging a bit. Um, so the 22 gap, sorry, 17 games. <laughs> that's um, going to take some getting used to. going to take a lot of getting used to. Um, the 17 games he might not get through. Uh, then my my sixth pick, I'll jump to sixth because I think fifth is going to be a little bit contentious. Uh, sixth is Luke Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, one yep. similar Adelaide watching Frio in the the JLT, oh, the Marsh series. That's also going to take a lot to get used to. <laughs> It'll um, he they've got to chip the ball around the back line sort of game plan as well. Um, if you take out a couple of absolute mares he had last year for various reasons, probably none other than he was just Ross lined. Uh, he would have been you know scored better than what he did. Um, and I think his average last year was extremely good anyway. So got him as number six and my number five. Um, plays for Collingwood Football Club. I've got Jack Crisp uh, as the fifth averaging defender um, at the end of uh, the end of 2020. So, a few reasons. Um, he gets a lot of the football, um, so <laughs> he's got more chance of scoring points. Uh, his problem is he butchers probably two in every three touches that he has. So, it doesn't take much. It won't take much for Jack Crisp to score well. Um, he just needs to clean up that disposal a little bit. Um, he's, he seemed to play a little bit more, you know, occasional minutes in the midfield back end of last year. So if he does that again in 2020, um, he misses maybe, you know, one in every three targets instead of two every three. Uh, he'll be a top six defender. Tune in to listen to Streety and Oz, where we give you all the detailed super coach advice. Pick this guy because he gets lots of the ball. Nice. No, I really like that. That was that was excellent, mate. mate. You can't score points if you don't get the ball. I, I, I fathom that Jack Crisp doesn't finish in the top 15. 
defenders. That that's my call. Cool. Well, we've yeah. got that recorded. Yeah. Now, so yeah. Damn it. You're like an idiot. Like no. an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Not fair enough. Look, I actually quite like Jack Crisp's game. I think he's uh, far more entertaining to watch than the snore fests that are Shannon Hearn and Rory Laird. But I can't imagine him finishing uh, above the likes of a Luke Ryan or even a Caleb Daniel or those sorts of players. He just he, and he just loves he loves the last five minutes of every quarter, um, <laughs> which is you know a random uh, stat. But if you watch him, he might be on something. You know, maybe say he'll be on fifteen points uh, at the end of the first quarter. Last five minutes, he'll score about fifteen. Um, so he he knows when to score points. We can't all have the same opinion, so I quite like that it's different. No, um, awesome. Anything else you want to add from a defender's perspective? It's pretty clear that we're we're not big on Hooley. It's been announced that he's injured at the moment, and whilst we don't even know if round one's going ahead, irrespective of injury, I don't. I, is it safe to say you didn't have him in no, your top six? Yeah, didn't have. Yeah, I'd spike season. If I've ever seen one last year for him. Yep. Um, um, yeah, I don't think there's, there's. There's. I mean, there's a couple. Of, I mean, you got a Dylan Robinson, but you got to drop quite a bit to to get to yep. him. Um, I would have been. I was pretty keen on Connor Blakely. Looking at the sort of list in December. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 410,000, new coach. Um, he's always been tutored to play midfield, but, I mean, the guy got dropped from the second March series. Yeah. Rumour has it because they were looking for players who can use the ball better and Blakely cannot use the football. Yeah. Um, so he is one that, you know, if he played for a Gold Coast or something, he'd probably be a top six average in defender, but I just can't see it in his current environment. Uh, and then Lock- Lockie Weller's getting a bit of love. Yeah. Um, I, 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 see, I think I've missed this bandwagon. I, yeah. I just don't see enough Gold Coast. And I understand he's been attending centre bounces. And I understand, he's, I understand they obviously invested a lot in him to get him across. And they want him around the footy and they value him as a footballer. He's still only in 1% of teams. And I think that's a very astute 1% because he has shown signs. But I think maybe I, I just missed, missed what all that hype is about. I can't imagine Lockie Weller coming in at the end of this season with an average of 98, you know? No, I agree. I mean, he's 480K for the same price. You can get Houston. Yeah. Um, obviously, Docket is 30K less, and for an extra 20 or 30K, you can get a Sicily type. So um, he might be good. He might play heaps of midfield, um, but you can trade into players during the season. So he's definitely wait and see for me. I think so. I think I'd even take a Brody Smith over a Lockie Weller, given the way Brody Smith's gone. And I know you have a love-hate relationship with that beautiful right foot kick. He's, he's great to watch. He'd, yeah. be, he'd be my top 10. He, see, he's what Shannon Hearn should be, or used to be. So that's all right. We'll get there. All right, cool. That covers off our our, uh, top predictions when it comes to the back line. So this is the section that we all really want to get to. This is the fun stuff. These are the big point getters, the big point generators, the engines of your team. We are now going to run through the top eight because that's how many spots we have. Top eight midfielders that we think, in order, that we think will uh, run out there in 2020. It's been interesting in in all of the preseason chat. It, it seems pretty apparent that there's around about 10, would you say, that have almost stepped up above the rest that sit in another bracket, which is rather convenient when you need to pick a team of eight I think and I, again correct me if I'm wrong here Streety we are basically going to have a debate about the order of those eight to ten because I fathom they're pretty similar yeah I think it is I mean they're all very similar this has been probably been I mean before obviously all the news about reduced season etc this is probably the hardest thing that I've been facing this whole off season mm. um, which should be the easiest I mean I, should, I could have easily locked in the, the five gun midfielders I was picking for my team in January, but I haven't been able to yep. um, because there's bloody good reasons for each and every one of them. Yep. And you just know that 
one or two of them, I mean, statistically won't work out. Yep. Um, will get injured. Uh, others will get off to a fast start. Um, so, you know, it, it is it has been difficult to narrow them down to mm-hmm. pick the ones in your team. Um, but luckily for the purpose of this exercise, we're just doing <laughs> the, the top eight by the uh, by the end of the year. And I think that's fair. Like, let's call that out. Of all of these, and to be honest, as I said, I think there's probably 10 or 11. I don't think any of them are a bad pick. I genuinely don't. And that, that annoys me because I love nothing more than you know, hanging crap on your selections. But uh, I think that all of them in reality will go close to top eight by the end of the season. And... You know, you go with your gut. But this this is our gut. This is our order. This is our preference. So let's uh, let's kick it off, mate. Who you got at numero uno? Who wins? Uh, so Jack and Craig for mine. Um, he's the number one averaging mid over the last two seasons. Um, I And there's a bit of the fact that I had him last year, but I hated the season, so I didn't get to enjoy watching <laughs> him play. So I feel I owe it to Jack um, to pick. Yeah, I have weird reasons for picking players at times. I think I owe it to Jack to, to watch him this year um, and, and cheer him on. Um, He'll sleep easy knowing that. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I hope yeah. you're listening, Jack. Um, he, the dogs did. Once again, we don't know what's happening. Did have, I think, five of the first seven at, at Docklands, um, mm-hmm. which they, you know, he scores ridiculously well at. He's not frustrating. He gets a heap of the ball. Beveridge, the back end of last year, finally decided that he's got probably three of the best mids in the comp. Why don't I play them in the midfield? Um, and, yeah, Jack went absolutely nuts for the back end of the season. So there's no reason um, that I can't see him not finishing as the number one average in mid. Yep. No, I think that's completely fair. I I do not have him as my number one here. I have him as my M1 and I have him in my team. I think he is an absolute Monty to go over, over 125 again. Um, he's not going to get tagged basically any week with Bont doing what he's been doing. Um, and he's got the proven track record of finding the footy. He uses it deceptively well as well. He's not your, your sort of Tom Mitchell needs to get 45 possessions to get his 130. Um, and whilst he does rack it up, I just think Jack McRae is a no-brainer selection, but he's my number two. And he's behind the bloke that I think will be the top overall scorer in any line this season. Wow. Yep. And this is what might be – maybe we need a segment, big calls for I, the year. Yeah. But I am I – all... I don't even know who you're going to say. Oh, really? If you had to get – oh, you, uh, no, hang on. I've got to cover my screen. If I, if I had to bet, I think this is the guy, and it's partly because I think he is the most entertaining player to watch in the competition, and I love the way he goes about it, and that is Joshua Kelly. I think he has wow. all the makings of a 130-plus midfielder. Goal. Yeah, I think he does. If you look at it, he's been – injury ravaged for the last couple of seasons as you've heard throughout these in, these podcasts I t- do not like to factor that in I like to ignore that I think he has had a brilliant preseason I think he is one of the fittest fittest blokes running around the AFL and in modern football that is more important than almost anything he uses it beautifully I reckon pencil him in 129.3 Two and plays 21 games, resting in round 22 as GWS finish second, Streety. Uh, we only have to get through 17 games. Um, Fair point. But that's okay. I, I, I mean, that's a big call. Mm. Um, I have him as my third highest averaging player. Um, I think he'll be obviously really good having have him averaging over 120, 122 I've got. Um, saying he'll average more than the big rucks 
Um, especially now if the, the shortened court well the rumours of short, shortened court yeah, I should preface quarters. that if the quarters are shortened then I'm changing it because the Ruckman will basically never come off yep. and I'll change that but yep. yes but uh, I think he's a good pick he's not in my side um, just for the sim. so I I take into you know, trying to split these midfielders um, I have taken into account durability um, and boring it's not boring at all uh, because Josh Kelly uh, has proven that he struggles to stay on the park. Um, no, that is, so is when you're trying to split these players that will all average probably you know between 10 points of one another, um, that's enough reason to rule him out um, for mine, even though he is great to watch um, and the Ds should have picked him instead of trading him to Don Tyson in 2000 and whatever it was. You got Christian Salem. Uh, that's like Christian Salem's not a bad find, but yes, it was a bad, yeah. it was a bad trade. It's, Look, the, only, I, it's the only bad thing Paul Roos did for the Ds. <laughs> I, might, I might be overhyping him, but I, I just, I love the way he goes about it. And I think if he ever does get the crack to play 17 games at full health, I think he is number one primo first selected I also understand your point of view. If he does get injured or if he plays a half game, he's easier to get cheap, but I am banking on that not happening. Um, so I've got him sitting as my number one. I had Jack McRae at number two. I think that's a no-brainer. And then I've got my favorite player in the competition other than Kelly, which is Nathan Fife. I think Nathan Fife has proven time and time again as the player that gets tagged at Fremantle, gets all the attention at Fremantle, sometimes has to go forward, sometimes plays inside mid. Yes, he has his injury history as well, which I'm sure you'll touch on and remind me and let me know that, oh, it's a little bit of a risk. But scoring potential, he again is a player that, if everything went right, could could average 130, and I don't want to miss out on that. I want him in my team. Uh, a couple of things. Gun, I'll start I'll start by saying he is a gun. Again, great um, advice. Good stuff. I've yep. got him as my eighth highest averaging player. Um, I think in, in the midfield or overall? In the midfield. Eighth. Yep. Eighth. You've got seven um, players averaging, averaging, not overall points, averaging more than Nathan Fye. I do, but you've touched on an interesting point, overall points, mm. um, which is big for me. Once again, like midfielders uh, are so important. They get you there 115 to 125 points every week. Fife's never played 22 games. Um, Doesn't so, need to. play so well and we only need to play 17 this year, so it's fine. Uh, well, that, that is true. But if you've got him even averaging a couple more than a you know a Patrick Cripps or someone like that, um, if five misses the two or three games that he does every year, uh, he actually ends up averaging lower, less than one of those players. So, uh, and, you know, another thing that I will get everyone to think about is the overall risk profile of their team. Um, like, you know, Oz has just mentioned that he's got Kelly and he's got five. Next thing he's going to say, he's got Tom Mitchell. Because um, having all three of those um, versus some of the tried and trusted players um, that you can, you know, pretty much bank 22 games out of is just not worth it, in my opinion. Um, like, there, it's like splitting hairs, as I said. So, you know, definitely take one of them. Um, you know, you can pick your favourite of the bunch, and I probably would. I'd pick Josh Kelly out of those three. Um, but picking all three to start your team when you've got rock solid alternatives um, that might average one or two less, but will play twenty two games or should play twenty two games um, is just not worth it. Yeah, look, I'm going to completely disagree and say that as we start the season right now, you should be disregarding injury history. I think it is one of the most overrated things you ever see. Brett Delidio did not miss a game for about the first eight years of his career and then broke down. Couldn't play 
fell apart. I'm sure there are a bunch of other players that have gone the other way as well, had very, very injury-riddled starts to their career and have been able to come good and figure it out. I think paying attention to injury history is significantly overrated. And also when it comes down to it, none of these players I think are bad picks. And so I'm going to pick the players that I want to watch and I want in my team. If, if I started the season and Nathan Fife came out and went 150, 140 and 130 for his first three games, and I had to sit there and watch other people have Nat Fife, it would kill me. Well, it, that, depends, it depends what your alternative does. Well, that no, And then Lockie Neal ticks away and gets his 120 every week and is also part of the team with Rory Laird and Captain Hearn as Captain Boring. Like, don't get me wrong, there are other great picks out there and I understand that the risk profile is obviously something that people like to factor in, but I think risk profile is is based on um, historical information that's overrated. And as a result, yes, let me do jump in to the next player on my list, which is the bloke that is the only one in this list that's averaged over 100 and... No, that's a lie. Yeah, Danger's done it. 130, whatever it is, three or whatever he had two seasons ago, and that's Tom Mitchell. Yes, I get that he is injury-ravaged and is... He's not. Well, He's just coming off a broken leg. Well, he hasn't played football in 18 months. Yeah. But if there's a player that knows how to quote you and Jack Crisp, find the football, it's this guy. And he's never been a good user. He's never been a power runner. He His role is to get his hands on the thing and get it moving. People are not going to be tagging him straight off the bat. He's not going to be getting all of the attention. I think he falls into 30 possessions a game, which means his floor still sits at that 105-110. And when there's that opportunity for him to explode and end up in that upper realm of mid-primos, I really like him. I must admit, at the moment, he is the one in my midfield that I am most uncertain about. And I, I do really like the idea of Patrick Dangerfield moving in instead of him. But at the moment, Titch is holding down the fort because I'm feeling courageous. I love Tom Mitchell. Um, he's one of my favourite players to watch just because he's not frustrating. Um, and I would probably have picked him if I didn't have last year. Um, but he's probably third in that list of Kelly Fife and, and Tom Mitchell for mine just because it's 630k um, I don't see I mean there's a different sort of risk with Tom it's the fact that he's coming off a broken leg um, he did well in the JL oh, freaking the Marsh series <laughs> um, but he, we're not sponsored by the way no not at all um, but he could get Rested at any point, uh, especially now. I mean, and once again, we're saying a lot of this. We're not knowing how the season will run out. But if they have to play three games in a week or two weeks, like the sort of rumours are, there's no way Tom Mitchell's playing full minutes in all of those. Um, and, you know, even if this was, you know, going back to the weekend when we thought it was a 22-round season, um, Tom Mitchell would, you know, and you can't guarantee any of those things, any of these things, but if Hawthorne are doing well in a game, um, or if Tom Mitchell pulls up a little bit sore, uh, he will get rested. I think that also, um, once again, and I, I know Ben, for whatever reason, doesn't like history and, and stats, but there hasn't been a player coming back from an injury like that to score really well. Libba's tried, Michael Barlow's tried. Like, yes, they weren't Tom Mitchell players in scoring, um, but they fell 15, 20 points less than what their previous season had been so he has to break a lot of history um and he is definitely going to be in my final team um because he is a 120 125 averaging player when fit um i just don't see it 630k when there's others around him uh that he's a good starting pick so and and fair enough as you were saying that i actually traded him out of my team and i put danger foot in but why why 
Were you? Are you so unsure about Mitchell? But have Sam Doherty locked away in your side if he's missed an entire additional season? Is that purely just because of the options around him? In yeah, line? What's the price. Doherty's four hundred thirty k, and if you have a look at the other players around four hundred thirty k in defence, um, I've got to scroll through this list. You got Michael Hurley, you got Heath Shaw, you got Callum Mills. Not picking any of those of ten foot pole. Tom Mitchell. So same Danger's actually 5k cheaper. Um, you've got Kelly, you've got Fife, uh, you've got Josh, Josh Dunkley, Bonton Pally for 40k less, you got Oliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a lot more choice um, and a lot more choice of players that you can essentially guarantee outside of you know unforeseeable events um, that they will be you know top ten midfielders. Fair enough. And as we said, this is our predictions for the those with the highest ranking. So your point about him missing games is irrelevant. That's fair enough. You roll with that. All good. I think Titch is the sort of player that doesn't need to be explosive, doesn't need um, to be... Uh, he doesn't always get... He's going to score well. He I just think, might sit on the bench, and it's pretty hard to score if you're on the bench uh, or not playing full stop. I don't know. Yeah, without spoiling one of your points for a later, you know, later in this discussion, um, Nat Nui seems to do all right. But all right, we'll move on then. Uh, after that, is it fair to say that your top five is looking relatively similar at this point, or is it not? Uh, I've got... Jack and Cray, number one. My yep. number two, so two you yep. mentioned, but we haven't actually talked about, is Patrick Dangerfield. Yep, yep. I've got him um, in my top five. Tim Kelly's out. Uh, he scored ridiculously well in the back end of last year. He started a little bit slow last year. He's mm-hmm. done it so many times before. He's yep. only 30 years old. He's not even that old. Yep. Um, he is an absolute lock, and I'm surprised he's only in, um, what is he, 20% of teams? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that blows my mind. I Yeah, that is too low. He's just... He's just a no. He's a no-brainer, to be yeah. honest. He's cheaper than all the other ones we've talked about. Um, he's got the history. Um, he plays twenty-two games. He plays even on one leg, so you can guarantee that from him. Um, and Tim Kelly is gone. Like that, and they got Jack Stephen, but you know Tim Kelly was their number one, you know, centre bounce attendance player last year. That's a lot of midfield minutes that have to get covered. Um, and Danger will cover a significant chunk of those. The only thing that worries me is, with the exception of sorry for opening up old wounds, Travis Boke, not many players get to 30 and then all of a sudden recapture their absolute best form. But the thing is with Danger is that doesn't need to happen, right? Doesn't if what, da- what if Danger last year? Yeah, well, 115 last year and he's been up in the 130s, right? If he comes out and averages you 119, 120, happy days. He's a great selection, smart smart play. And Even if Danger comes out and averages what he did last year, uh, 115, he is still a fine pick because once yep. again, he's going to play 22 games. Yep, no, I, that is fair. I, and I think that's his absolute flaw. Yep, I think that those are valid points, and I don't like agreeing with you. So what's next? Uh, Josh Kelly's number three. We've already spoken about him. Yep. Um, love watching him play. He's yep. a gun. He got me 200 and something against Carlton in 2018. Jet. Um, I've got Tom Mitchell at number five. So my number yep. four um, is Lockie Neal. Uh, I just – he is boring. Um, and but I just think that there's no reason why he won't be, um, and that you know that's slightly down on last year as well. So there's no reason that he won't average that score, um, considering that he just finds the football and Zorko is going to be tagged in that midfield because he's so much more damaging. So. My logic with this as to why I actually have Lockie Neal sitting at number seven and definitely nowhere near my side. I hear loud and clear about the fact that he is reliable and finds a football, but 
kind of like what I mentioned in regards to Dustin Martin having his super season. I don't see how Lockie Neal can have a better season than last year. Brisbane are not going to finish in the top two. If you want to make that one of my big calls, feel free, because that is not happening. They're not going to win as many games. Yes, we don't know what the season looks like yet, but they're not going to be as strong. He's got more players starting to take points off him. The likes of McCluggage are going to be up around that 105-plus sort of mark these days. And yes, he's still got Zorko, who probably gets more attention because it's more damaging, but I don't think there is a world where Lockie Neal can possibly average more than what he averaged last year. And that instantly says to me, you take Dangerfield, you take Tom Mitchell over him straight away on account of that step I wouldn't take Tom Mitchell, but yes, I would take Dangerfield. Um, Lockie Neal also had a ripping buy going for him, but all that's changed now. Mm -hmm. Um, And he also didn't have DeBoer until about round 18. Um, and now and we don't again, know. Now we don't know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's 660K. So um, I have had him in and out of my side throughout the preseason. Um, you know, a bit of this is, once again, due to last year, I didn't have him. Um, I chose, yeah, not to start him at the start of the year, even though I was very close to doing it. Punished me a lot. Then when I picked him up, he, he did pretty average in the back end of the season. Um, so there's a bit of that in the in the selection. But uh, I just don't think he's a, he's a, he's a bad pick. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Boring, as usual, not surprised. Um, and then the two others, and we might cover these off, on, you know, quickly, I guess, is um, that I have, anyway, I have Josh Dunkley in there at number six, and yep. I have Clayton Oliver in there at number eight, over the likes of Patrick Cripps and Marcus Bontepelli, who don't quite make my cut. Okay, I agree on Josh Dunkley. Um, I reckon he could go anything from 110 to 130. Um, yep. Talk about you know who could be the highest averaging player in the yep. whole super coach in 2020. It could very well be Josh Dunkley. Yep. Um, he's in my side, uh, similar to Jack McRae. I owe it to him because I had him last year and I didn't enjoy it, um, but he was amazing. He <laughs> You're averaged, very loyal. Yeah, I know. I, I yeah, I am to a fault. Um, he I think he averaged something like 133 as a you know pure midfielder last year. Um, when Luke Beveridge actually decided to play his best players in the midfield. And if he continues to do that, um, Josh Dunkley will you know, will be, I'd say, a top three averaging player. I've got, I've got him at number seven or six or whatever that is, um, just for the fact that I don't purely trust Luke Beveridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so he might get a few more midfield minutes, uh, forward minutes if they're winning easy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he plays pure mid, uh, he could very well be the highest averaging player in the comp. Yep. No, I, I agree with everything you've just said. I, I actually, have, with the changes that have just been made and the lack of importance in in terms of buys and the potential to now have multiple players from the same team on the same line, I'm now looking at ways to try and get Josh Dunkley into my team. I think what you said about his potential being up around 130 is exactly that. He, he could quite comfortably do that. Well, he and did, even he if he does, fourteen rounds. exactly, year. right? There's no reason he couldn't do it again. And the reality is no team in their right mind is going to let Marcus Bontempelli off the leash to do what he needs to do and put all of their time and effort into Jack McRae and Dunkley. Yeah. yeah. So as a result, I look at McRae and Dunkley and go, they're just better super coach picks. They're safer picks. Whilst Bontempelli, in my opinion, is one of the better players to watch in the competition. He's all class. He's second, unbelievable. Second best. Second best. Yeah. So what? Just before Shannon Hearn. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
I cannot go near him. I can't validate it. He's going to get attention every single week. He's going to have his games where he kicks four, has 30, and has 180 super coach points. But for me, I would much rather take the safe and sorry route in that regard when it comes to Jack McRae and Mr. Dunkley. And then when it comes to Paddy Cripps, I look at Paddy Cripps much like I look at Lockie Neal. And I know they're going to win more games theoretically, Carlton. I don't think it's going to be that many more games. But also, he's going to have to give up more of the ball to the likes of Sam Walsh. He's going to have to give up more of the ball to the likes of their, their emerging midfielders, the Petrevsky Seatons of the world that are going to be around the footy more. Paddy Dow, yes, they're average players, but they're going to get more time exposed to the footy. And also in the back end of the year, Cripps really didn't come home that strong. He started to run into issues where the likes of Ed Kernow and Mark Murphy were around the footy more, those bigger bodies that know how to dominate the ball and dominate the contest a bit more. And I just look at Paddy Cripps and go, he's not your Dustin Martin, despite what you might think. You can't just throw Paddy Cripps forward and have him kick you a couple. I don't think he has a ceiling that's as high as many people do. And if I was looking at this list and saying who is, is the actually the worst value of these sort of top eight to ten midfielders, I think Paddy Cripps potentially is the worst value on that list, despite the fact that 51% of Supercoach players seem to have him in their team, which scares me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Oz, to be honest, I Paddy Cripps has always been one that has surprised me that he's so popular. Like he, I mean, I will say he's in my team or was in my team until, <laughs> until I changed it today with all the new potential rules. Um, but that was for the simple fact that fifty-one percent of the Supercoach community have him. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't understand the love for him versus others. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you read out, I've just got his scores from last year. So just reading out some of the scores that he and this is you know a midfielder you're playing six hundred thirty-six k for sixty-six. He got a 89, a 78, a 73, a 78, and an 85. That's six games under, what, 80. No, no. Um, none of those other players we've talked through would get anywhere near that. No way. Um, no way. So he, he doesn't need too many things to go wrong um, for him to drop in value. Like, I will no doubt, if I don't start him, pick him up during yeah, the season. He'll be I think in my he team. will drop to about 550K. Um, and yeah, to be honest, the only reason I'd start him is because he's in so many teams. Yep, no, I completely agree. I think, as we said off the top, these are none of these guys are terrible selections. You should be choosing between them. And if I was choosing between them, I would have him quite low down the list. I think maybe before we wrap up this section, well, we should chat. We yeah, because you had Clayton Oliver in your top eight, which yeah. is a big call. Yeah. Oh, you you disagree? We're Clayton, Clayton, so, all right, here we go. And I've, I've used similar logic with a lot of these arguments, but I'm going at it again. Can Melbourne, you know it well, you're a diehard, can Melbourne go worse than last year? Uh, well, they, I mean, they didn't finish last. So do you think they'll finish last this year? Cool. In, in, what, well, I wouldn't have thought so. Correct, right. So they're not going to go any worse than last year, mm-hmm. right? Clayton Oliver came into last year off double shoulder surgery, basically done no running, Looked like he was carrying a little bit of extra packing and very much struggled to have his big 150, 160-point games, which we know he's capable of, when in the second year of his career he busted out another 110, right? If, even if Melbourne's a passable team, and that's all I think you will be. Sorry, mate. I hate to break it to you. I don't yeah. think you're going to be playing in any prelim finals. I think you're around that sort of 8 to 12 range. Even if you're winning 50% of your games, Clayton Oliver will 100% increase his average by 5 to 10 points. I just can't see a world where that doesn't happen. No, I agree he'll increase his average. I'm going down as 115. Are you still don't um, think 115 is top eight? No, I don't. Wow. Wow. Do you? Yeah, I think so. I reckon I reckon we always overhype at this time of the year. I think we get well, if 115's not top eight, that means of the players we've gone through, a couple of them would have to drop their average by about five points. Mm. 
Yeah, which which I could like. I it will happen. Yeah, they're trying to pick which one is. Yeah, um, I just can't impossible. see him Oliver. I just can't see him. He also he plays basically every week, even through injury. Yeah, I really like him for that regard. I, I personally just don't think Oliver, and I'm massive D's fan. He's great. Has enough upside in yep. him to hit that sort of one twenty averaging mark. Yeah, likes to go missing. Can't kick for shit. Um, can't kick a goal to save his life. Um, <laughs> he sure he, he cannot kick the football. He kicks out in the full um, yeah. every time he lines up. Yeah. Um, he and you know um, and he can't go too much based on the JLT Marsh Cup. Um, but he <laughs> we was, need a know, swear jar now with Petrarca in there. You got Viney back, fully fit. Um, he might not be sort of the number one mid that he always was. He'll definitely be up there. Um, so I. I agree. I think he'll average about 115, which is five points more than what he averaged last year. So he's definitely the best value out of all the ones we've gone through, except for Danger for mine. Um, but I just don't have him as, as top as top five. So he's also, once again, like... No, no, top eight. Top eight. Top eight, sorry. Is he in your team? No. Oh, right. So you're no. not even start. Even though you think he's the best value out of all of them, you're not going to start him because you don't no. think he's top eight. Well, I was big on draw as well. Once again, all these things have gone out the window. Yeah. But he's got Hutchins round one, DeBoer round two. He got 60 on last year. So mm. what I don't want from one of my players that I pick in this midfield is a bad start because it doesn't mean much, but um, I guess... You know, you're an emotional mentally guy. And emotionally, having a having one of your gun mids that you pay you know, 600 and something K for to you know bang out a 60 round two, that hurts. Yep. Um, so no doubt I will pick him up, um, but he is prone. You know, similar. He's probably him and Paddy Cripps are the ones within this group that are probably prone to a mare. Um, and I think yeah, Oliver. Well, unless the fixture changes completely, which it might, um, might have one or two of those early. Have you got any others that we haven't touched on that sit outside of sort of that? I've sort of lumped Oliver into that top echelon just because I'm quite big on him. But any others that jump out? I know I've got a couple that I think could be jumping up into that sort of a group. I know you mentioned to me um, over the last little bit that you think Jack Viney has obviously shown a bit. Yeah. Is, is it a Look, Sam Walsh? I think this year we definitely have to, well, now have to look at things differently. Um, if we've got 17 rounds, we won't have enough time uh, to get the full premium team that we always have. Um, like I was previously, if you asked me on the weekend, I was massive on starting just the players above 600k mm-hmm. and I wanted to get all of those in during the season I don't think that's realistic now um, so if you're looking at the next batch of players who I would consider um, I would consider Coniglio I think he's the one even though he burnt me last year Think, um, just on Coniglio quickly, you take away that zero, right, which we, which does factor into his average, and his season average is actually around about that 110. Mm. And, yes, I get that that's not quite ultra primo status, but you look at the way that he performs in the other less, you know, intelligent forms of fantasy being, you know, AFL fantasy, yep. and he always exceeds. He finds a ton of the footy. He's got the goal-kicking power. He's also captain now. Now, take make of that what you will. If you're Trent Cochin, it means you get worse at Supercoach. If it's... T- um, uh, Canelio, maybe it means you jump 10 points. I think he he's the obvious one to me that if you're looking to take a bit of a left field selection that you reckon could slot up there, I think he's... Yeah, he's, what's, he's 550k. Like yeah. I will, he is frustrating to watch mm-hmm. um, because he goes missing for massive chunks of games. He will get you 60 one week and then 180 the next, mm-hmm. um, which I find frustrating. Um, and, um, you know, to once again, Oz won't agree, but his game count history is terrible as well. So, oh, God. Um, you can't pick all these players and just beca- and just assume or hope that they'll play 22 games where they've proven they haven't in the past. Over a number of seasons, I'm just talking one or two seasons, mm-hmm. um, these are players, you know, your Kellys, your Fives, 
um, your cogs that all haven't played you know over 20 games in multiple seasons. Which so, means they're at discounted value and have the potential to explode, and so pick all of them. That's what well, you suggest. Statistically, they won't yeah. do it. No. Yeah. So, well, look, uh, and but no, he's good. And to be honest, he I brought him into my team today because I had to get rid of one of the. So I bought Lockie Neal to cogs, freed up 115k, mm-hmm. which is now I can now get him another another mid prices. So. Definitely a good pick. Other ones I like, just really quickly, Jack Steele, St. Kilda. Really like that. Um, you know, the, yep. the new Brett Ratton said he's going to free him up. Uh, he's proven when he doesn't tag. Well, I mean, when he tags, he scores okay. When he doesn't tag, he scores exceptionally well. Um, he's a he's a ripping draft selection for the record. 516K um, mm-hmm. in 1% of teams, so I don't like that. But um, <laughs> 2019 average of 95, um, I could see him easily improving that by about 10 points. And then, yeah, Jack Viney and Sam Walsh are another couple if you go down to sub 500K that I, you know, once again asked me on the weekend, would never have started. But now I am contemplating starting one of those just because I know that it's going to be harder to get a full primo team. Yeah, fair enough. I think you've covered most of them. I think the only other one that isn't a, a true mid-pricer that I'd touch on there is Hugh McCluggage. He's got a bit of yep. traction over the last little yep, period. His trajectory is, has been great. He's shown that he can kick goals. He hasn't been an overly high possession winner, which seems to be the next sort of phase in his development. Not you know, in a ton of centre bounces, but it's not really the way he plays. I think he's another one that if you're really, really stretching it, he's not going to make it anywhere near my no, team. But I think he could easily stall this year, sort of just have another yeah. solid year. Like he, yeah. did, he was obviously exceptional last year, but just sort of sit there at that. Um, Tim Kelly's the one I love. Really? Um, wow. Wouldn't start him, um, but he's just got a lot of upside versus some of the other picks around him. Interesting. I, I actually team, gun team. He's got Nick Nat rucking to him. Right. Um, and, you know, the kid's only been in the system for two years. So, you know, he's going to get better. Um, and West Coast are going to be awesome. So he could, I think he averaged 103 last year. So he could, you know, he should average at the very least the same, um, which puts him into conversation now given the, the changes in the season. That's a lot of points for Elliot Yo, Andrew Gaff, Tim Kelly, Dom Sheed. Like, that, that's a lot of points. Well, Dom Sheed doesn't get any of them. Uh, doesn't get any of them. Shuey, Luke Shuey, he's okay. Have you heard him? He's overrated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's essentially five midfielders all averaging over 95. And I know the Bulldogs have proven you're going to have superstars that average those sorts of scores and can still be worthwhile selections. I can't fathom going near Tim Kelly, given the nature of the West Coast Eagles team, the amount of points going around, um, which is, I suppose, a little bit hypocritical when you look at the amount of GWS players that I've pumped up throughout this pod. But I I just can't see Tim Kelly. I think his ceiling is lower than you do, clearly. So just before we round up the midfielders, uh, if you had to pick four of them for your starting team, um, because I think, you know, previously you might have gone five, but I honestly reckon that will need to change. If you had to pick four, who are they? Uh, for me, number one with a rocket is Josh Kelly. Number two, just on pure logic, is Jack McRae. I think the third best selection of that group is Clayton Oliver. I think he makes a ton of sense. And then if you start the season without Matt Fife and he comes out, kicks three, has 30 and has 170, you will kick yourself. So I'll probably go that way. Where where that, that sort of danger field titch are the other two that I'm weighing up strongly. I do like Dunkley as well. But if you've got to make a call, they're probably my four. Fair enough. Uh, I've gone Jack, uh, Dangerfield, genuine no-brainer. I would get him into your four. Um, (laughs) Josh Dunkley. And then um, I would like to go Josh Kelly, um, but I will probably go Lockie Neal. Very brave to leave the top scoring player in 2020 out 
of your midfield. Unusual decision to leave Josh Kelly out. We yeah. left Josh Dunkley out, which I said. Yeah, well, I, I think, think I think could be. So, so you you're not actually going to put your head on the chopping block and claim that? No, no. Okay, typical. I don't trust Barry. Conservative and boring with Harry, and exciting and uh, more fun with me. Mm. Cool. So that turns out. Cheers. Cool. So now we are going to. I think relatively briefly touch on the rucks um, and there's probably two conversations here because uh, the conversation of who do you think the top two rucks will be uh, I think would be over reasonably quickly as if you have something other than Grundy and Gorm you can probably just shut this podcast down now no okay move on yep, yep sweet uh, Grundy and Gorm genuine no brainers Grundy uh, is was my first pick player um, I'd say he'd be a lot of people's first pick player um, and is just a absolute no brainer despite his price um, just for the fact that he's the awesome vice-captain or captain that you can rely on during the year as well. Um, and Max Gorn will be the number two ruck. Um, what the discussion, I think, is more about is whether you start both of those um, at $1.4 million um, or do you choose one of them? And I think we'd both look at swapping out Gorn. Mm-hmm. Yep, we can agree on that. Yep. Um, for another ruckman. Um, so this is something I've battled with a lot of the preseason. Um, I think... It's a, once again, it's a different discussion now than we would have had a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had quite a few Gorn teams and then I had quite a few non-Gorn teams. Um, and I think the non-Gorn player we both had was different. Um, but now there's a, another player that I'm considering, but we'll touch on that in a minute. So your non-Gorn Ruckman, Oz, who, who, who have you got there? I if, think if you were going down If we were, and, and I've been and as I sit staring at my team right now, he is in my team. I think he's probably a less than 10% chance of staying in there, but as I was trying it, I think, as I stressed with John Segler, Ruckman will score. Ruckman, uh, it is almost impossible for a starting Ruckman, as provided they play the majority of the game, to score less than 80-odd points, even if you are absolutely hopeless. And so at the moment, I've got Sam Naismith in that spot, essentially as a glorified rookie, really. Um, he's, what, 40K more than Matt Rowell, and I don't think he'll average quite as, as well as Matt Rowell will, but even if Sam Naismith can pluck away and score you 80 or 90 points, I think there's, firstly, a massive cash cow there, and secondly, it helps you fill out the rest of your team because that is going to be a challenge this year. There is very few, seemingly, cheap rookies available, and we're going to have to get a bit more creative, and I think this is why this season is going to be so much fun because... Because you're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to start finding mid-prices and expensive rookies and those players that maybe played one or two games last year but are still at a discounted price to figure it out. So I've got Sam Naismith in there. Um, I I did, did toil away at putting Sam Jacobs in. And yes, his preseason was impressive and he's going to be solo ruck and he's got a bit of a history. I just hate the fact that he is $100,000 more expensive and also that he is, what, 30-odd? 31? 32, actually. Anyone that is getting displaced by Riley O'Brien and, and can't work his way back into the to the Adelaide team concerns me. His job security is incredible. He's not going to get dropped because Shane Mumford <laughs> is bad, but I, I just have my doubts over it. So for me, Sam Naismith would be the call. I can see the argument. Um, I personally hate the pick. Uh, you actually do have him paired with Segler, which a lot of people don't. Um, mm-hmm. I think it has slightly more merit there. I've seen heaps of people that don't have him paired yeah, that's with ridiculous. Segler. And that is, that's and once again, it's different now, but that would have ruined your season. Yep. Um, if Naismith went down, um, you would essentially have had to trade another premium on another line to a rookie to be able to afford Naismith to Gorm, which can be done, but that's two trades uh-huh. um, that are completely wasted. And Naismith... 
And, you know, I mean, old mate uh, doesn't talk about games history, but the guy's played 22 <laughs> games. He hasn't played for two years. Um, and so there, there is every chance um, that he goes down with an injury um, in the first few rounds. And that, for me, is just a risk not worth taking. Well, the other the other thing is we actually don't know if he's any good. He's also... And- <laughs> well, hey, I, if you've watched him, uh, if you watched him in any of the, the Marsh series, he is painful to watch. He falls over as a ruckman <laughs> more than anyone I've ever seen before. He'll go up in right. a ruck contest and just fall on the ground. Yeah, okay. It is painful to watch. I can't bring myself no attention to do that to and cheer for someone like him. Um, and I also, yeah, I mean, he talks about Source. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if Naismith is necessarily a lock for their number one ruck all, all year. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got Buddy and Reed to come back. Um, it would be stiff for Sinclair to not find himself in the side. Sinclair himself did okay as number one ruck. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if Naismith doesn't perform well in that role, which there's every chance he doesn't, um, he could be out of the side, which is just as bad as an injury. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm sort of banking on the fact that Sydney have clearly invested a fair bit in this guy all the way back to the Toby Nankervis piece way back in the day. I think they acknowledged that they wanted Sam Naismith around their football club. Anyone that is a ruckman that falls over and doesn't do a hell of a lot when he plays, but hasn't played for two years, particularly when finding a big lumbering oaf is not actually that hard to do. Look at how GWS just got Sam Jacobs this season. I feel as though they must have a little bit of faith in him. As I sit here right now and I stress I'm very unlikely to have him in my team, but I do really like the idea of getting seven, eight, nine decent weeks out of Sam Naismith, having him average that 85 or so and making sure that you actually get your 150-odd grand to be able to cash in because, as I said, it is really difficult to fill out your teams right now. As I stand currently, I've gone very heavy on the mid-prices in the forward line, and in order to do that, I've had to make some sacrifices, and that is the one. Looking at uh, looking at your team here, I talked about before, the risk profile of your team is ridiculous, um, which... That's how you win, mate. That's well, how you win. Well, actually, it is actually not how you come twenty thousandth. Never done that. What's that um, like? Well, it's it's starting a team like this. Um, yeah, right. So okay. I would just say that if you're going to start Naismith, um, have a have a get out plan, mm-hmm. um, and that and be mindful of the fact that get out plan could be trading a Josh Dunkley or Tom Mitchell on another mm-hmm. line to yep. be able to afford Naismith up. Um, my preferred option of Naismith and and Source is Source. So Source was in. My, all of my preseason, if I didn't have Gorn, I had Sauce. Um, I've changed that since now, today. Um, but I just really like Sauce. For, for another 100K, uh, you can get someone who's done it before, who's in a much better team. Um, he's you know in the March Cup. He seemed to play that link-up role. I think he took like 10 marks in one of the games. Um, he could very well average 100. Um, and you, know, you can't say that about Naismith. He'll play every game. You know, there's no threat of Mumford. I agree there. Um, so I think I would be finding personally find the hundred K to go Naismith to Source. Having yep. said that, um, with the new rules and the fact that there's rumours out there that the quarters will only go for sixteen minutes, um, I will most likely, and this is not someone who's had my team to date, uh, I would I will most likely start Nick Nat. Is a no-brainer. Ooh, I no like brainer. that. Genuine no-brainer for mine. So Ooh. I think if you look at points per minute last year of all players, um, Gorn and Grundy were up there, and McRae was up there, you know, Oz's boy Kelly was up there. But the one that was number one, um, and number one by quite a bit, was Nick Nat. So he scored 1.38 points per minute. If the game's a 16 minutes, 
Um, if the quarters are 16 minutes, Nick Nat's time on ground is increasing um, a lot because you know he pretty much essentially played 16 minutes previously, mm-hmm. um, and he could easily average 115 to 120, if not more. I've known you quite a long time, and I genuinely think that's the smartest thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. It's good, isn't it? Like, I didn't even have stats to back it up. Yeah, no, done research, done prep. Yeah. Look, I, and everyone knows how, like, what Nick Nat's scoring potential is and that these challenges always the fact that they basically play in between sort of 55 60% game time, even when he is really fit. If they do reduce these these uh, games to 16 minutes plus time on, I guarantee you that four minutes is not going to be the four minutes when Nick Nat was on the ground. It's going to be the four minutes that Nick Nat was on the bench is no longer the case. He potentially still plays the exact number of minutes, so potentially scores whatever he got, 100, 100 yeah. or so, um, even in reduced game time. the 3,300, he gets I, a lot more points. I really do like that as an approach, and it is one that has definitely got me thinking. I think, the, to be honest, with the exception of those three that we outlined at there, there is no other alternative. If you are going for anyone other than those three or Gorn and Grundy, then I think you need to have a really long, hard look at things. Whilst I'm a big fan of what Team English will be, he is young. He hasn't done it before. His work around the actual contest is not very good. Around the ground, sure, he's shown a bit, but around the contest, not great. It's too, it's too, early, too no, early for Tim. If you're going to be spending money uh, on guys like Goldstein and Marshall, you may as well find the cash and get go all the way up to the big dogs. Um, anyone else? at all that is even worth mentioning at this point I, I can't see it uh, no um, Scotty Lysette I picked him at draft side because uh, he has had he had a chunk last season where he averaged like 125 um, but the guy's 550k so I just wouldn't do it um, it's Nignat or gone for me at yep. the moment now with these changes I've taken source out um, I would rather try and pick my potential R2 from the start of the season at a you know, 250k discount than Gorn. Um, Nick, that does obviously still have his risks. Um, he gets injured, and he um, there are rumours that they might have to play a few games over a shorter period of time. So, you know, I might not start him depending on all that news. Um, but at the moment, with the little information we have about how season 2020 will look, um, I think he is a fantastic pick. I started this segment thinking we were going to finish by saying, ignore everything we said, just pick Gorn and Grundy. But you have genuinely got me thinking. So well done. Nicely done. So now we thought we'd cover off what is going to be quite an important tactical um, tactical component of 2020, really, which is the use of mid-prices and rookies. Rookies, as we've outlined earlier and as uh, there's been much commentary about, are few and far between. There are a couple that I think will appear in virtually 100% of Supercoach teams, or at least 100% of relevant teams, the likes of your Matty Rouse, the likes of your Marlon Pickett's, but... The reality is we may get to the point where we're spending bigger, we're spending more, and we're having to tie in more mid prices, particularly when it comes to the forwards in the back line. I struggle to see too many in the mids, but particularly forward and back. So what we thought we'd do is we just highlight the really popular ones, we, the ones that people have been talking about, give you our thoughts on which we think makes sense, which ones you should avoid. Traditionally, that sort of mid-price bracket has almost always been a trap, but I think this could be the year where, yeah, wow, that's I feel like everyone said that literally every year. But given the nature of the rookie situation, I think this could be the year where there are a couple that not only make sense, but actually end up in our finished side at the end of the season. I think ultimately, whether you like it or not, I don't like it, but we're forced into them this year. Um, It makes it more fun. There's a shortage of rookies um, and there is... The potential of, well, I mean, the season's only going for 17 weeks, so getting to full primo is going to be a lot harder Mm -hmm. um, than previous years. So everyone that 
bangs on about guns and rookies, um, you know, already annoyed me a little bit just because, you know, if you look at the rookies that might get named round one, there's not um, the, you know, there's names in teams that I've seen that just aren't going to get named. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just can't do it this year. Uh, I think the rookies, like there's no point even really talking about them because I reckon there's 12 of them that get named and they're the 12 that you'll pick. Yep. Um, Whether you like the prices of them or not, um, it's the mid prices that you have to fit around those that is the talking point. Um, and especially now that, you know, once again, that there's, the season's been reduced, I actually played around with my team today and took out a couple of really expensive players and replaced them with a couple of, you know, mid-prices um, like Gresham and Viney that, you know, I would never have considered a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think the rookies, especially the forward rookies, um, there might be a couple of those named, but their scoring potential is woeful. Um, I got stuck with uh, some... Geelong guy a couple years ago. What was his name? Um, anyway, he was terrible. Um, <laughs> he stuck in my field. He got me 20s every week, and I couldn't get him off. And it was a nightmare. So um, when you put your rookie on field, um, you have to be comfortable that they will score 60s Exactly. And I, I think looking at it, I think in the midfield, we're far more confident that there are at least a few rookies with some level yep. of scoring potential, which has meant, I know for me, and, and I don't know, I assume it's the same for you, mate, that we just have, I haven't really even explored mid-prices in the midfield because I think there is enough value in the rookies in terms of the points they're going to be able to deliver to get us through. But when it comes in particular to the forward line, I am looking for every option I can possibly find to avoid picking rookies because we've seen it, as you said, by that guy that you don't know his name from Geelong and I'm know how just, to, I'm just who he is. Now. Yeah, great. Appreciate that. Um, it is There is absolutely nothing worse than having a rookie that comes onto your field and scores you 30 or 40 every single week. Oh, so he was actually James Parsons. So I had him in 2017. He got me 19, 38, 46, 42, 51. Nice. Like that just that kills you. It's probably easier field. to talk about Robbie Young, who was literally last year. But look, James Parsons well, also, also him, good. So oh, I okay. only care. No, people finishing 20,000th clearly didn't bother. No. Um I have said where I'm at at the moment is it's a bit of mid price madness in the forward line. Yep. I, I currently think that Jack Stephen is an absolute no brainer. Yep. I think he's got the scoring proven history, averages around about that 95 to 100 mark, which would make him a top six forward. Pick him, forget about it, don't worry. I agree. I wanted to see one Marsh Cup game, saw it. He was awesome. Locked. Yep. I think similarly, and this is where it starts to get challenging, I think Devin Smith just makes too much sense. I actually have a bit less confidence in Smith than I do in Steven just because he's historically been that tackle machine but low possession winner. They also have a a lot of bodies trying to get those midfield minutes and, and because Smith has proven that he's good up forward and tackle pressure and blah, 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 sometimes he doesn't get the exposure that he should. He should be in there, much like Dunkley. He should be in there every second, but uh, he may not be. I still think he is absolutely stunning value and needs to be in your team. Even if you think of him as a very, very, very high-priced rookie, he is going to be great value. Yeah, worst case is a good stepping stone. Best case, I mean, and once again, with the forward line, if he averages 90, he's essentially a keeper for the year. So, Mm I'm not massive on him as a pick. Um, You know, probably if he was the same price as Jack Stephen, I might not go him. But at 334, whatever he is, 336K, um, yeah, genuine no-brainer. So the main question I think people are having is, how do I start both? Mm -hmm. Do you have both? I do have both. Yeah, I I currently do as well. And I just think 
you just figure it out. You, you need to find a way. It is a great opportunity for you to take, yes, two lower level premiums, but avoid having a rookie in the forward line on your field. And I think you just need to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I think having more, if you've got one forward rookie on field, that's okay. Like the Curtis Taylor from North mm-hmm. played pretty well the other day. Um, I've seen him on field for a few, but there's quite a few teams with a, um, a ranking on field um, or Max King on field. And they get Cameron might not even play. Your 40s. So um, I would get Jack Steven or Devin Smith if they're not both in the forward line. I've toyed around with having one of them in the mm. midfield and then you can switch them forward. It's no big deal to do that later in the year. But yeah, um, they're already picks in my team. Um, I think with the news that the season's been shortened, they've just gone to yeah, absolute locks. Yeah, I think there's an absolute... And there's just, there's just no point not getting them at a price. Yeah. Because um, you know, um, they're popular, so worst case, everyone else is in the same boat. Um, and I would, you know, the, one of them should work out at the yeah. very least. I think I, I took um, I took a bit of confidence from the fact that I heard the winner from uh, last year speaking on the uh, the AFL Supercoach podcasts last week, and he mentioned that he had four four mid prices in his starting team, and when he rattled them off, I thought none of them made as much sense as both Jack Stephen and Devin Smith do this year. Yeah. I think it's it's a no brainer. So looking at that, then, so you've got Whitfield, you've got Martin, you've got Smith, you've got Stephen. I don't have Whitfield. Oh no, Whitfield. Yeah. We didn't how do we not talk about the fact you don't have Whitfield? Uh he's just too expensive. So I've got my current team um has to get the money to go to Nick Nat. I had to ditch Whitfield. Wow. All right, that's it's bad timing because we're talking mid prices, but mm. that is something that we will wait and see because I think that is a horrific decision and I now get why you finished twenty thousandth. Mate, Whitfield has oh, touched on it briefly, not much upside. Uh, he, he had a number of injury-affected games. He had yeah. two injury-affected games last year. If you watch him, um, once again, his role's changed a little bit. Um, he seems to be playing half-back to start the season, so he'll be good. Like, he's still the number one forward, but he will drop in price, and you can't start them all. I mean, you've got Naismith in your team at the moment, which is allowed you field with pick Whitfield mm. um, which as we've touched on I, I just happen. wouldn't do yeah fair it enough it doesn't sound like it'll happen I so. can categorically guarantee Lockie Whitfield will still be in my team but um, okay and then other mid prices I've already given you my confidence in Johnny Segler I just yep. love the idea of Ruckman I think he provides you security we got super lucky last year with Gordon Grundy and yes I still think that's the way to go but my goodness we got lucky with them basically playing every single game did they miss one did one miss one maybe uh, Gordon missed one Gordon missed one other than that and then we stumbled into Riley O'Brien and we yeah, had we all of these options yeah yeah but I just think John Segler makes a shitload of sense yep other no, than- I don't I don't mind him my one with him is like you can't guarantee we'll be number one rock all year yeah fair enough fair enough but then other than that other mid prices Petrarca any interest seen, yeah I'm a, I think Truck's a great pick and at 440k um, I just don't see a downside in it um, you know at absolute worst he's at absolute worst, he goes 85, 90, and that is what he scored previously with you know about 10% midfield time. Mm-hmm. If he bumps it up to even 50% or the 70% that's been rumoured, um, he just seems like a no-brainer at that price. Um, Gresham I really like yep. um, you know, at a similar price to Petrarca. Um, and then I've seen a couple of teams with Andrew Brayshaw, um, who I don't really like as much, yeah, just has to do too much. Yep. Um, but he's only 330k, so it probably just depends what structure you're looking at. 
Um, but if Brayshaw is that price, I would definitely pick Stephen and Smith ahead of him. Yep, and I, I know there are a number of people out there that are big on the Hugh Greenwoods and the Darcy Parishes. They really don't interest me, and not because I don't think they're decent selections, but mainly because I think Jack Stephen and Devin Smith are locks. I think Lockie Whitfield and Dustin Martin are locks, and as a result, there is literally no room for anyone of those to come into my calculations. Yeah, I think, I, I think on track as well, like just based on genuine talent, like he was picked too. Yeah. Um, he's obviously yep. a freak. Um, so you've and- got Lockie Weller in there as well because they're willing to trade pick two. So I assume you've got Weller in your back one? No, I don't. No. Oh, so, uh, no, cool. Whatever whatever logic suits you, mate. I'm just using it as one of the multiple arguments for Christian Petrarca. Okay, cool. Yeah, no worries. Pick him. I think the only other mid-pricer that, I, that jumps out at me that we haven't touched on and I personally think should also be in 100% of teams is Dylan Robertson. I think he comes with actual genuine risk, unlike all these others that have, you know, done calves and everything else. Um, he has been through hell, to be honest, with, with what he's had to go through to get back playing football. I think he's shown signs. You, you're not viewing him as a keeper. You need him to play six or seven games at his proven average of around about that 90-point mark, and um, he has done his job. So in a, in a uh, season where we are struggling to find the cash to get the teams that we want and will struggle to find rookies that can play on field and score points, I think uh, Dill is a lock. Yep, I agree. No reason not to pick him. Awesome. Great. Any, anyone else jump out at you? Anything else outstanding? Not really. I, I mean, like to, to be honest, it's one of those ones that, you know, I'm going to spend. I mean, we're working from home at the moment, which is handy. I'm going to spend <laughs> a bit of the time over the next 48 hours looking at more mid-prices because I think we'll be forced to. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, off the top of my head, all the research I've done to date doesn't include any others um, than the ones we've just touched on. So. Well, that nearly wraps up our first crack of this. This is has been something we've spoken about for a while and has been bloody fun, so hopefully it was good, good to listen to. It's gone for a long time. Yeah. Right? Editing required. Yeah, we, we, it'll be interesting to see what actually goes to where, but um, what we thought we'd do is quickly run through uh, what some of the standard segments will be for this moving forward. Um, the first one, I think we'll obviously run through the week uh, that was, any of the trades we're thinking about, all your usual super coach goodness, but we're also going to have a year-long uh, Oz and Streety Brownlow going on. We'll each give a 3-2-1 at our own discretion at performances on the weekend. That could be from our premiums. That could be from our pods. That could be mid-prices that step up, emergencies, late withdrawals, whatever it is, um, and we'll keep you in the loop around that. Um, Streety, I know you've got your stable that you're keen to chat about. Yeah, so um, over the years of um, I, I think if you haven't picked up already I've become a pretty emotional player um, and I make some you know, pretty pretty confident calls on, on players so um, I've got my own stable of players which dates back to pretty much 2007 when I started playing um, and you know me and my mates like to claim players or well, not just players as well I'm pretty sure we've claimed Characters from TV shows, mm. contestants on reality, you know, reality TV. Yeah, it's really um, annoying because there's literally nothing I can say where you're not like, oh, he belongs to this person. Yeah, really, really, it is annoying. Yep, yeah, we got a commissioner that we send our picks to, um, <laughs> so you just make sure that no one else has him. Um, so yeah, there's a number of players in that. So each week, I'm just gonna just gonna you know go back to the history books, name one of those players. A lot of them have retired um, because. You know, as we've touched on, I haven't been as good over the last couple of years. So I haven't claimed as many players that have done well for me or badly for me. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll look back at one of those, and I guess you know some of the some of the averages and why why they were claimed by uh, by Streety and why they're part of my uh, my stable. 
Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. And then from my side, I'm also going to come to the party with Oz as often. So there, obviously when you play Supercoach for this long, you have your never again lists, you have your don't touch them, don't go near them type lists. And I think throughout the season, we're going to bring up, whether it's performances from the weekend, historical performances, etc., be it Supercoach or otherwise, that really just have me ride off them. And even just to kick them off, I think they're really obvious Oz as often for, for... No, no yeah. Yeah, I am off him, but not as much as you are, so I, I won't touch it. Is just the log- most logical thing you can get to in Supercoach, which is key position players. Don't go near them. Waste of time. Yes, they can come out and kick nine if you're Jeremy Cameron against Gold Coast and look great and that sort of stuff. It, it doesn't hold up. Don't go near them. Like and it. then just the, the subtle other Oz is often, which is more of a serious one, is this friggin' COVID-19. So it's been obviously a pretty scary time for everyone and just be smart, be safe, and um, I'm right off it. So hopefully it's uh, not as bad as we we are hearing it might be. It's, uh, it's pretty deep. Yeah, heavy, but, heavy um, stuff. I yeah, thought heavy, I'd finish heavy. Stuff finish heavy. But that, that's right. I think um, one thing I will do next week as well um, is, as I touched on at the start, I wrote down six rules at the end of last year um, that I was going to make sure I did for my starting team. Um, so we're going to revisit those once I've actually picked my starting team and, and see how many of those I broke. Over or under two and a half in terms of how many you broke? I, I would say over. I mean, I, I would say over. I'm going to say now that I think it's a little bit unfair because we're going to have to do things differently uh, to what I was going to All do. All I'm hearing is excuse. So I'm gonna, I think I might, the team that I was going to start and then the team I ended up starting or will end up starting are two, are two different things. We so. have to keep the podcast under two hours. We'll, we'll workshop it next uh, week. Yeah, we'll, we'll, figure we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Anyway, um, this has been Talking Supercoach with Oz and Streety. Hope you loved it and we'll uh, be in your ears again soon. Thanks, guys.